Hello and welcome to the Semantic Cybersecurity Brief, our weekly podcast where we discuss all things cybersecurity. I'm Dick O'Brien and joining me today are Semantic Threat Researchers Bridget O'Gorman and Candid West. In this week's podcast, we'll be talking about how social media platforms can now be forced to delete illegal content worldwide, a spate of new data breaches, how researchers have found a way to use Wi-Fi signals to identify people through walls just from their gate, and we'll have a report from this week's ITSA IT conference in Germany. But first, Apple has drawn fire from the Chinese government over a new app that tracks the movement of the police in Hong Kong. The app is known as hkmap.live and it was approved by Apple uh, just recently on October 4th, reversing an earlier decision not to host the app on the iOS App Store. So what does this do? Well, it uses crowdsourced data to track police movements in the city. Now, as most of you know, uh, who've been following the news, uh, Hong Kong has been the scene of wide scale protests recently over new extradition laws and more generally what's seen as Chinese government interference in local government affairs. And over the past few weeks, the atmosphere in the city has gotten increasingly tense and the police have adopted a more hardline approach to the protests. So with that in mind, you can see why the app is now reported to be the most downloaded app under the travel category in the iOS app store for Hong Kong. That hasn't gone unnoticed in Beijing. The official Communist Party newspaper, The People's Daily, said this week that Apple was, quote, protecting rioters and that it was allowing the poisonous app to flourish is a betrayal of the Chinese people's feelings. It didn't name the app in question, but I think everybody knew who they were referring to. But it does throw up some interesting issues and illustrates the tightrope that companies have to walk on between acting in their users' interests and retaining access to the markets that those users are in. So the report did warn of potential consequences, saying Apple's mixing of political, commercial and illegal activities was, quote, unwise and imprudent and would only draw more turbulence for the company, which kind of seems to hint at possible restrictions in their activities in, in that country. So before anyone sees this as a major rupture between Apple and China, it's important not to overstate this. Like while it is a public retaliation, it comes indirectly from a newspaper and not from the government itself. And it may very well end just there because if Apple is walking a tightrope, so too is the Chinese government, because on the one hand, they want to keep a lid on things in Hong Kong, but on the other, they don't want to come across as too draconian because they'll start losing public support. So on from that issue to another that uh, has been in the course this week in Europe, um, content host providers like Facebook and other similar platforms will now need to take heed of a ruling made by the European Court of Justice. Um, So do you want to tell us more about this one, Bridget? Yeah, so a ruling um, published by the ECJ late last week has basically decreed that individual countries can now order Facebook and other similar content hosting platforms. So presumably that will include the likes of Twitter and Instagram, which of course is owned by Facebook anyway, uh, to remove posts, photos and videos uh, globally, not just in the country where the content has been declared illegal in some way, such as perhaps being defamatory or misleading. So this ruling follows from a case that was originally taken by the former leader of the Green Party in Austria, uh, Madame Eva Lavinisch-Piszczek, who sued Facebook in the Austrian courts in 2016 in order to get a photo and a comment about her that she said was insulting and defamatory removed from the platform. 
Now, she took this to the Austrian courts and they agreed with her that the comment was defamatory. And at that point, um, she wanted Facebook to remove the comment and also any equivalent comments globally from its platform and not rather than just removing comments within Austria. So Facebook re- re- excuse me, refused to do this at the time, which is then what led to this case being brought up to the European Court of Justice, which is the highest court in the EU. Now, the court was essentially tasked with um, interpreting a directive, the European Directive on Electronic Commerce, and how it would apply in cases like this. So under that directive, um, that directive says that host providers are not liable for information that's published on their platforms if they have no knowledge that it is illegal or if they act quickly to either remove or disable access to content once they discover that it is illegal. However, this judgment has now declared that platforms like Facebook are responsible for removing not only illegal posts that are directly reported to it. So, you know, a post on a certain page is reported to the platform and then they take it down. But they are now also responsible for removing or blocking access to content on the platform that is identical or equivalent to the content that has been previously declared to be unlawful because obviously a post could be on one person's page or in one group can easily be reposted to multiple pages on multiple groups so just having the original post removed doesn't really do much if it's been reposted constantly so now the social networks like Facebook will have to proactively seek out these kind of copied posts and take them down as well even if they haven't been directly you know reported to them so I guess they have to take a more proactive approach to removing content than they have up to now. You know, they need to seek out this content rather than just simply waiting for it to be reported to them. Um, And the judgment also said that member states could order content to be removed or blocked worldwide, um, although they did say it was within the framework of relevant international law and that it will be up to the states um, to take international law into account, basically, when making rulings in cases like this one. Now, Facebook didn't seem overly happy about this ruling, making some comments afterwards to the effect of, you know, it could be limiting a free speech. But to the best of my knowledge, it can't appeal it as there is no higher court um, in the EU to go to um, from the ECJ. Um, And while it is an interesting ruling, definitely, and one to keep an eye on, I would think, in the future, um, a legal expert who spoke to the Times in the UK after this ruling said it's unlikely that there'll be some kind of sudden flood of new orders or requests issues to Facebook after this ruling as it will probably take courts um, a little while really to figure out what it actually means um, in a practical sense I suppose. Yeah it'll be interesting to see what kind of precedent it creates and, and what uh, you know subsequent cases are going to uh, how it's going to affect subsequent cases and it's also going to be interesting to see as well of um, how Facebook and other content providers um, react to this what kind of measures they can put in place to automatically find and delete uh, identical content. It's tricky because I was reading the ruling and it basically, you know, when it says equivalent content, it did imply the kind of content that would, I guess, be findable by AI or kind of those kind of means that would need to be similar enough to the original post that you could kind of automatically detect it. But yeah, it's not straightforward. I think it'll be, it might be a tricky one to enforce properly, but we'll have to see what happens. Yeah. Okay. Now let's turn to you, Candid, because there's been um, a veritable spate of data breaches um, uh, over the past week. 
Yeah, so last week researchers found the information of, uh, let's say, around 20 million Russians being accessible to anyone online. And the source of the data was an unsecured Amazon web service cluster for Elasticsearch. And there have been a few databases with uh, data going back to 2009, so 10 years. And unfortunately, the data was not encrypted and no password was needed to access the cluster, so it was wide open for everyone. And the data itself contained a lot of PII data from names, addresses, to passport numbers, text ID, text value, and so on. So as often with such misconfigurated uh, cloud incidents, it is difficult to say if anyone else actually already accessed the data before, um, but the researchers at least found it now and secured it. And of course, that was only the first data breach in this news uh, this week. There was another one with 8.7 million data records of Russian broadband users, uh, which apparently was offered on an underground forum. And the data seemed to be from an ISP, um, which actually admitted that the data was from a breach that occurred in 2017. But they didn't really publish any technical details on how the breach happened. So it's still unclear on how the hackers got the data. Okay, so it sounds like a pretty bad week for the privacy of uh, Russian uh, internet users. Um, but data breaches are kind of a global phenomenon and there's been plenty else going on in the world as well this week, hasn't there? Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, so there is apparently a data set with information of about 92 million Brazilians being sold on an underground forum at the moment. And they make an auction, so the starting price of the auction is set with 15,000 US dollars which would be around 6,000 records per dollar that you purchase it for. Of course, the price could still go up and uh, they could also sell the data multiple times to gain more profit, as we've seen with other cyber criminals in the past. But besides personal information, the database actually also contains the taxpayer ID. And this suggests that the source is probably some government database from Brazil. But the actual source and of course, how the breach happened is currently still unknown. And yet another case happened in New Zealand, where about 1 million data records of the healthcare uh, firm 2Aura Compass Health were apparently leaked. And the attack happened back in August, but now there might even have been a previous attack on the company that probably got access to some data as well. So the breach information in that case includes enrollment information at medical centers, patient's national uh, health index number, name, date of birth, uh, ethnicity, and the address, and of course, potentially more as well. The good news is, at least at the moment, there is no indication that the data has been misused uh, somewhere else. And I'm sure this will not be the last time we talk about data breaches on the podcast, as we have been talking about them before, right? Um, I guess it should be self-evident that you need to protect sensitive and personal data regardless on if it's stored on site or in a cloud service. Um, so better double check where and how your data is stored. All right. Now, let's take a look at one of the more unusual and interesting pieces of academic research that's cropped up recently. Uh, Bridget, somebody claims to have they have found a way to ID people through a wall using just Wi-Fi signals. Yes. So I could try and explain this, although some of it's a bit uh, above my... Uh, education level, I think. Um, this research comes from the University of California in Santa Barbara. And as you say, its basic claim is that researchers have found a way to use Wi-Fi signals to identify someone through a wall based on their gait. So, you know, how they walk and move around. 
Now, we have previously seen research that showed it was possible to detect the presence and location of people through walls using Wi-Fi signals. But this is the first time, um, as far as I know, that we've seen a claim that you can actually identify who the people are potentially. Now, the researchers from UC Santa Barbara are calling this new approach cross-modal ID. And Yasmin Mustofi, excuse me, and their team are going to be presenting this research um, at the Mobicom conference that's on later this month. But ahead of that, they've published um, kind of a synopsis of this on their paper online as well. Now, for this approach to work, researchers need to firstly identify, obviously, a person's unique gait. Um, and they propose that they would do this using... Um, CCTV or other surveillance or video footage of someone, which I guess, you know, in our kind of hyper-surveyed world, you probably wouldn't have too much difficulty finding. Now, this is a complicated bit, so I want to kind of quote from their paper. The researchers then would translate the video into the wireless domain using an algorithm that extracts a 3D mesh that describes the outer surface of the human body as a function of time. Uh, They then add electromagnetic wave approximation to this to simulate basically the RF signal that would be generated if the person um, who's on the video was walking in a Wi-Fi area. So basically the way the signal would bounce off their body, essentially. So now they say they know the person's gait. Then basically um, they set up two Wi-Fi transceivers outside a building or on the opposite side of or in a different room to someone. And they then compare the signal picked up by them uh, but you know, but trans excuse me, transmitted by the person in the room or at the other side of the wall, so that they compare the signal picked up by them to the signal generated by the one in the video to determine if they match. And the team says that in experiments conducted on campus, they had accuracy rates of eighty two to eighty nine percent between what was picked up by the video created image, I suppose, and what was picked up when the person was actually on the other side of the wall. And they suggest that use cases for this technology could be, for example, in criminal cases. Say, for example, if cops want to determine if a suspect is hiding out in a building, you know, if they have surveillance camera footage or CCTV footage of the person, they could determine the person's gait. They could then use this technology to determine if the person is, in fact, in the house, I suppose, or in the building, I suppose, without having to alert them that they're there before determining if it is them. However, I'm not sure, you know, the kind of legality of that or privacy and warrants and all that kind of thing. Um, because obviously I feel this isn't an area that's ever been had to be addressed yeah, before. Exactly. I suppose. <laughs> so there might be have to yeah. be some new rules um instigated first. Um and they also suggest it could be used in smart homes, that this would be like really smart homes, I feel, so that your home could be basically rigged up to recognize the gates of the different people who live in the home and so determine you know who walks into the room and kind of personalize it for them so i guess you know turn on your favorite music or adjust the temperature dim the lights or i guess if the kids walk in turn on the cartoon network for them or whatever it might be um now i'd imagine many people would consider that to be very luxurious um and i suppose as it as we're not really sure about the kind of legality of the criminal um use of it in criminal cases and um, that while it's certainly interesting research um the kind of practical use cases of it um in the world at the moment i wouldn't be 100 percent sure about plus i'm not really now i don't know this myself but you know i would feel like your gait is something you can kind of 
fake or change or that would change over time yeah, yeah, or through injury or things like so. that you think so and also like it's uh it's not exactly x-ray specs so you have to kind of wonder yeah. what, what the applications are i mean there's probably cheaper and more convenient ways of like doing biometric recognition or you know like in terms of home automation there's like the you know uh, voice control and things that could recognize certain voices so like it's yeah you know, obviously, these things uh, are are an early stage of research, and they can lead to other things. But at the moment, I'm I'm just wondering yeah. about the real world applications. Shall That's we say, it. Yeah, you know? it's, it's one of those things. It's interesting, but uh, yeah, if it finds yeah. applications in the real world, we'll just have to uh, to wait and see. I think. Okay, uh, let's go back to Candid because as uh, the eagle-eared of you might have noticed, he's not in the office this week and he's instead at the ITSA IT conference in Nuremberg in Germany. Uh, Candid, can you tell us more about um, what it is and and what topics are on the agenda this year? Yes, of course. So basically it's a very large IT uh, conference here in Germany with about 700 uh, exhibitors so kind of a booth area showing all the new software and uh, technology gadgets. And of course, uh, there's many, many visitors. Last year, they expected 15,000 people to attend. And it looks like they might even break that uh, this year again. And together with that, there's also uh, many presentations going on. So there's different forums going on specific topics um, from life hacking against Active Directory to what actions you can actually do to help encourage more women to join IT security roles. So it's quite broad uh, spectrum here of things to see. And it's also quite interesting, um, of course. Uh, it's uh, You're not just attending, though, are you? You're presenting at this conference as well, aren't you? Yeah, so I already presented on formjacking, so the whole mage card where website gets compromised and then starts stealing credit cards and, and other, let's say, credentials on websites. And I will be presenting on targeted ransomware. As we all know, that's something that has been in the news as well. So we think it's definitely something that people uh, should and want to know more about. But yes, um, there's actually quite a few topics uh, here that are discussed. And since uh, a lot of the Let's say attendees are probably working for mid-sized companies, as that's a very strong sector here in Germany. They, they actually are very interested in how can they automate their own infrastructure security. So how can they use machine learning, artificial intelligence, and all those things to still be able to protect himself against all the, the flood of attacks that come to them, but without having to find 10 or 20 people, because we all know it's very difficult to find enough resources at the moment. And in addition to that, I mean, of course, cloud services is a hot topic here as well. So again, a lot of companies try to move to the cloud in order to save money and also to kind of be more efficient and dynamically adapting to uh, their needs. But as we've seen with the data breaches that we covered before, you have to make sure that whatever you move there is actually protected well, as it's not up to Amazon, Microsoft or Google to protect the data there. Um, well, to one extent it probably is, but in the end it's your data, so you have to make the configuration and you have to make the consideration if you have to to encrypt the data, if the data actually should be in the cloud or not, and well, there might be some legal implications there as well, I guess. That sounds really interesting, Candice, and is the uh, conference going on for the rest of the week or are you finishing up today? So it's the second day today and there's one more day tomorrow uh, with more presentations to come and 
I'm probably going to attend a few as well as there's some interesting workshops and demonstrations on visualizations happening. So how can you visualize all the data um, that is happening or kind of passing your network? As we all know, most companies do not really know what's happening in their network, right? From network flows down to the good old living off the land where PowerShell or some command line tools are misused. But if the data is not locked, then you're kind of blind. And even if it is locked, we're talking about a lot of data there. So of course, there has to be a, a better and simpler way to kind of use that data. And there are some interesting aspects here and solutions that try to ingest that data, visualize it. And of course, as always nowadays, use machine learning to actually help automate the normal response. So you don't really have to bother with, let's say, emotet emails, which are still making the rounds nowadays but you can focus on the targeted attack groups that you really should worry about. Yeah, you're right. It kind of does feed back into the, the issue you mentioned there, especially amongst mid-sized co companies of how to like manage the flood of data that they're getting in uh, these days. Because it, as you know, it's not just a matter of detecting malware on your network anymore. It's, it's having to trawl through lots of events that could be malicious or could be perfectly innocuous, you know, and uh, trying to manage that flow of data with the limited amount of staff that you have seems to be uh, a really big challenge at the moment for, uh, for a lot of businesses. It, it definitely is a big challenge. And I mean, in the end, it's setting or it's about setting the right priorities, right? Um, because if you only have limited resources to deal with them, then you better make sure that you're actually dealing with the ransomware threat which is about to encrypt all your data and not really bother about the one that's trying to steal some, uh, let's say, old World of Warcraft passwords, which shouldn't be used inside your enterprise anyway. So setting the right priorities, assessing the risk is a challenge. But luckily, of course, there are solutions. And um, from semantic side, we're working on those as well to help the uh, midsize, but of course, companies from large and small size as well. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, well, enjoy the rest of the conference and best of luck with your uh, remaining presentations. Um, that's about all we have time for this week. If you've been enjoying our podcast, don't forget to subscribe to avoid missing out on all of the action. You can also follow us on Twitter at Threat Intel or um, Medium at medium.com forward slash threat hyphen Intel. If you'd like to read our latest research, check out our blog, which can be found at semantic.com forward slash blogs forward slash threat hyphen intelligence. We'll be back again next week when we'll be once again looking at what's going on in the world of cybersecurity. Until then, thank you and goodbye.